My introductory text will come from um, Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Uh, when I read this verse, I think a lot of times this verse is only quoted half the time or half the verse is quoted. In other words, you need to have a vision, but that vision better be God's vision and not yours. If it was my vision versus Richard's versus Doug's versus Wayne's, we're going to be in a hurt, world of hurt because we're just arguing about whose vision is the best. But you notice the second half of this verse is talking about God's word. So our vision is towards the word of the Lord. Well, I'm going to take you back on a, a memory journey that I've been here 11 and a half years now. And when I came here 11 and a half years ago, I preached three sermons in the first month I was here. I had a vision for the church, and I believe that vision is a scriptural vision. I don't think it was just my vision. I think it was one that was scripture. And there was three, point, three messages I preached in that first month I was here. And I didn't leave it alone. I've been re-preaching it. And once you see the three subjects, you're going to roll your eyes and say, oh, that again. Our number one, we're going to submit to God's rules for studying Scripture. The thing is, is what matters is, is what God meant when he told it. And God told us that when we get a verse and it's a little difficult to understanding, we've got to go back to verse number one in the chapter and ask who, what, when, where, and how, and why. And then we have the context for figuring out what God was talking about. I can't tell you how many times on a, on a Wednesday night someone will say, Brother Dolph, what does this verse mean? And I'll ask, who? Who is he speaking to? What's he speaking about? What's the reference? What's the time frame? And 90, 95% of the time, they go, oh, yeah, and I don't even need to answer the question. All I need is to ask questions. That's the way God would have it. Okay. So that's the first thing I said, we're going to do this. So when I got here, I guess I don't, it's not like, oh no, that's one of those people's verses. Oh no, that's one of those people's verses. No, they're all God's verses. Amen? And they better harmonize to one truth. And if they're not harmonizing, the real problem is it's here, not here. Okay? So we work through it and we make sure. We don't play the games. I got 10 verses to year six, so I win. My doctrine's right. No, that's not how it works. We make sure the six harmonize with the 10 and then we get the truth. And chances are, if we got 10 to six, both of y'all are wrong. Right? And I'm saying you, I meant me too. Okay? All right. So number one, we're going to submit to God's way. And we'll get a little bit more. I'll expand on these in a second. Number two, we're going to maintain a multi-generational perspective. Have you heard that once or twice since I've been here? Okay. It's not about you. It's about your children and your children's children. That's why we're here. As soon as we start thinking, I like, I believe, I feel, I want, we've lost. We've got to look at it from the perspective of the next generation and the generation after that. And we'll use scripture to prove that too. And number three, you knew this was coming, right? One another is a verb. We one another, one another. Okay, and there's a whole list of things we one another each other with, and I'll show you that in a second. But that is something we do inside the church, but we also do it outside the church. Okay? 
So those are the three things we're going to review today. Number one, it's okay to be reminded, especially the older you get, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, wherein ye stand, by which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory. The gospel's not going to do a lick of good if you forget it. you got to remember it. What I preached unto you, lest you believe in vain. you got to remember it. Okay? And that salvation, I don't believe, is eternal. It's talking about here on earth. You forget the gospel, you're going to be scared. You're going to have fear. Okay? Number two, second witness. Second Peter 1.13. I think it meet. That means I think it fit. As long as I am as in this tabernacle, you know what Peter's saying? He says, as long as I'm living and breathing and in this physical body, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stir you up, putting you, putting you in remembrance. My job is to remind. My kids will say I'm hounding them, but no, I'm reminding them. Fine line between the two. Yes? And then 2 Peter 3, 1. Beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Okay, old brother Dolph had a bad week. He didn't have anything to preach, so he went to on one of his reruns. No, that's not what happened. I need to remind you of certain things. I want to talk to you about reckoning. Reckoning is also important. And you know what that word means. Maybe some of you don't, or maybe some of you forgot and need reminding what reckoning means, okay? What happens is, is when a ship takes off, and let's suppose there's a, there's, there's, there's a boat, and it's going from, let's say, New York City across the ocean to land in London, okay? So as it goes, it does something called a reckoning. You know what a reckoning is? It takes a look at to see where the destination is, and am I still on course? Has a wind blown me off? Has a current blown me off? Had I have to dip around an iceberg and get back on track? Right? So a reckoning is a calculation done midway through a journey. You cannot reckon without a destination. Well, I've got to adjust my course. Where are you going? I don't know. How do you adjust your course when you don't know where you're going? Do you understand? You need a destination to adjust your course. And reckoning is a good thing. And I got a couple verses here just to show that definition. As, as, as we get, a, here in the South, we, we get a little sloppy with that. You reckon it's going to snow today? Right? Who do you reckon is going to win the Super Bowl today? I don't know. Right? But that's not what a reckoning is. A reckoning is you start on a journey, you have a destination, you're somewhere in the middle of that journey, and you do a calculation to see if you're on schedule or if you need to veer your heading. It's like driving down the middle of the road. Every time you do this, you know what that is? That's a reckoning. Right? Don't fall asleep, because if you have to wait till the last second, you've got to go like this, and usually you end up in a ditch. Right? So little bitty adjustments along the way. That's what a reckoning is. Leviticus 23, 20, 27, 23. This is at the year of Jubilee. It says, Then the priest shall reckon unto them the worth of the estimation where in the year of Jubilee. You remember what happened in the year of Jubilee? There was an asset at year zero, and at year 50, everything went back to the original owner. 
So if I was going to sell something in the middle of that 50 year, the priest would do a calculation. The beginning was zero. The end was year 50. And they said, wow, you've got 45 years. You can sell that asset for a lot. He did a calculation and it was year 45. And he says, man, there's only just a couple years left. You can only sell that asset for a little bit because in five years it's going back. That's a reckoning. It's a calculation done in the middle of a journey. Same reasoning was done here for 2 Kings. But I want to go to Matthew, Matthew 15, 19 and 20. This was the time where a, a master gave out some money to three investment advisors. You say it doesn't say that in the Bible. Well, kind of, sort of, it does. What he did is he gave five talents, two talents, and one talent, and he diversified his IRA. The starting was the investment. The end was when he retired. But somewhere during the middle, he says, I want to see how my investment advisors are doing. That's exactly what this guy is doing. Matthew 25, 19, and 20. After a long time, the Lord of those servants, his three investment advisors, he reckoned with them. And so he that had five talents, he came and he brought the five talents, saying, Lord, I delivered me five talents, and I got five talents more. And he says, you're right on schedule, Right? He went to the second man that had two talents, and he says, what's yours? He says, I had two. I doubled it. I got two. He says, you're right on schedule. He went to the third, and he says, I gave you one talent, and the guy did nothing with it. And you know what he said? He says, you're behind schedule. Right? Well, reckoning is a good thing. So when I come to you, and I say our goal was to use the Bible to interpret Scripture, to have a multi-generational perspective, and also to one another, one another, I'm doing a reckoning. We know what our starting point is. We got an ending point, yes. And in the meantime, are we on schedule? Or have we veered a little bit off course? Submitting to Scripture, okay? Now I want to give you a couple verses here. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. See this Bible? To a carpenter, this is his hammer and his saw. This is his tools, right? And to a preacher, this is his tools. Now that word perfect, this is not going to make me perfect. I am anything but but that word perfect means mature and fully equipped. In other words, with this, I have everything I need. Got it? So what happens is, is I have to look back. And when do I come to you with any authority other than the word of God? If you can say, I don't remember Brother Dolph ever doing this, I think we're still on schedule. Amen? Some people get bored with that. But that's what I'm required to do. It's the oath I took when I was ordained as a minister. It's the oath I took when I agreed to be your pastor. Okay? It's going to be this word. Okay? Nehemiah 8, 7, and 8. This is really important. This was one of the biggest revivals ever recorded in Scripture. This preacher named Ezra, he studied and he studied and he studied. And finally, Nehemiah got a congregation together and he preached. But look what it says he did. He says, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. You know what he did? He gave, he gave the context. He, but what it says, he reads distinctly. I hate that. 
You know why I hate that? Because I'm a math guy. I'm not a grammar guy. But that forces me to pay attention to the grammar. I'm reading distinctly. It's not easy for me. I don't care if it's easy for me. I'm representing God and his word. And when I'm lazy in that, I misrepresent him. And I give the sense and I stop and I say, who's he talking to? When was he talking? What's the situation? Why is he talking this way? That's how they did it. And notice the result of reading distinctly and giving the sense. The people understood. They understood the truth. Okay. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. Here's a second witness about this. Knowing first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. You know what that means? Well, I'm going to read a verse and this is what it means to me. And you're going to read a verse and this is what it means to you. You know what that is? That's private interpretation. I don't care what it means to you. I want to know what it means to God. Because then I'll have the understanding of his word. It sounds like I'm cold, doesn't it? Well, I hope it sounds like I'm jealous for God's word. No private interpretation. I just can't take a verse and just pick it out of here. And I want it to mean this. I'm going to make it mean this. Okay? I've got to harmonize it with the passage and all the other passages in Scripture. Okay, and I've got those rules, and we've covered those many times, and I'm not going to go over that this night, but there are rules. No internal contradictions, scriptures, and best interpreter of scripture. Mind the context, heed the grammar, use sound logic, proof text, figures of speech. We've got to pay attention to all those things, and these are things I try to implement over time. Okay? It's the only way 50 believers can sit down and ever have hope to be of one accord. Right? You know, I was a math teacher, so I got to use this illustration. You know, a long time ago, they had real difficult math problems. Like 9 plus 6 times 4 divided by 3 minus 1. And I could give a problem to that to eight different students, and we get eight different answers. But they created something. Okay, Mr. Teacher over here, what do they create? Something called order of operations. Remember order operations? You know what that means? There's a rule for doing that math problem. You go through and you do all the multiplication division. You go through and you do all the addition and subtraction. Okay? Yeah, but I like working left to right. But you're all going to have different answers. Well, I like to do exponents last. No, you're going to get a different answer. Amen? Well, God did the same thing with his word. If we just, I like, to, I like to do the Bible left to right. Well, I like to do all the exponents last. You know what? You're going to come up with a different answer. I'm forced to try to do this as your, as your pastor. Okay? And if you want to know what God says, you're going to have to do that too. All right. I want to show you this. <clears throat> Here's something else. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. 2 Corinthians 13.1. This is the third time I'm come to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I challenge you. Okay, right down there, there's notes for about the last six sermons. Okay? I started thinking about this. I've been your pastor for 11 and a half years, right? So let's say there's 50 Wednesdays and 50 Sundays a year, so that's 100 a year times 11 years. That's 1,100 sermons. Do you realize for 1,100 sermons, every bullet point has always had three references? 
Go back and check your notes. Why? Because I believe God's required me to do that. It's a contract I made with you back in 2011. Yeah, 2011. I said, I will read God's word the way he does it, and I'll use two or three witnesses. Does that mean I never made a mistake? No. But it makes it harder to make a mistake. Amen? So I challenge, go, go look at those. Don't, see if you see three references under every bullet point. I do not want to misrepresent God. You may not like me, but I'd rather be disliked by you than God. Amen? Okay. And I, I say this to you because as I'm moving along in my 60s, there's going to be time for me to slide aside, and I want you to be looking for this quality in the next man that comes along. I want you to know. And you're saying, what do you care, Brother Dolph? I got four children that go to this church, and I got now five grandchildren that go to this church. I got a vested interest. And whoever you get, I want them to be preached for someone that handles the Word of God with integrity. Okay? So I'm very selfish here, but I'm also jealous of God. And then finally, in 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know what? They're going to get bored of the order of operations. Brother Dolphin says, I don't want to stop and go back to verse 1 and ask who, what, when, where, and why. Just tell me what it believes. Jesus must have been a frustrating teacher. Do you realize how many times he was asked a question and he answered the question with a question? Why did he do that? He wanted you to think. He wanted the people he was talking to think. So when he was not there, they could handle the next question. I learned early on, I could not foresee every trial all five of my children would ever experience. But I could teach them how to think so they could handle the trials when they started marching forward. That's my goal. I'm not going to be here to answer all your verses, but I want to give you the tools so you can figure it out. I'm here to help you, and I want to help you, but there's going to be times where it's going to be good for you to do that. Okay? Okay, that was number one. Number one, the commitment I made 11 and a half years ago is we would use God's words for ruling, for, for interpreting his word. Number two, we're going to maintain a multi-generational perspective. I've got three verses up here I want to throw at you. <clears throat> I want you to know the generations here. In this particular passage, there's four generations. Do you see them? Psalm 78, 3 and 4, which we have heard, that's one generation. And where did we hear it? From dad. Our fathers told us. That's two generations. Dad to me, right? We will not hide them from their children. There's three. Showing the generation to come. That's four. Right? The praises of the Lord and his strength and the wonderful works that he hath done. Do you notice in that passage there's four generations? Dad told me I'm going to tell my children so my children can tell their children. There's four generations. God would have us thinking multi-generational. It's just not for me. Okay? That's really hard. In Joel 1, 2, and 3, here's five generations. Hear ye this, ye old men. 
Unfortunately, that's starting to look like me more and more. Old men, that's one generation. Give ear, and all the habitants have been in your days, and even the days of your fathers. There's my dad. So my dad told me there's two generations. Tell your children, there's three. And let your children tell their children, there are four. And their children, another generation. There's five. God is setting the church up. He's setting his truth up to be pushed on. Okay? And then one more. I need a New Testament one. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Here's four generations. Therefore, my son, this is Paul speaking to, to Timothy, be strong in grace that is in Christ and the things that thou hast heard of me. So Paul told Timothy... Among many witnesses, commit thou to faithful men. There's a third set of preachers who shall be able to teach others also. Also, there's a fourth set of preachers. God is making arrangements to pass this thing on multi-generationally. We need to be thinking multi-generationally. I'm going to get tough here. Let me give you one more verse. The very last word in the Old Testament. I don't know if you knew this. What do you think the last thing God said in the Old Testament was? He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite thee with a curse. He says, You know what, this Old Testament church, I'm going to turn it upside down. And you know what it's going to look like when I turn it upside down? Fathers will have a heart for children, and children will have a heart for fathers. Wow. You know who the primary teachers of children should be? The fathers. You know what I see in my main job? Equipping fathers to teach their children. I'll try to teach their children, but I would rather spend my time teaching fathers to equip their children. That's the best way, right? Especially when it comes to your daughters. If I have to, I will, and I'll bring my wife. But I'd rather teach a father to teach the daughter. Okay? You know this is coming. Jeremiah 29 is one of my favorite stories. And it, 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 this, this, is, this is a verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. You know the verse. I mean, it's the one on T-shirts. It's the one on calling cards. It's the one on that surfer movie. What was the lady with the arm got bit off? You, you understand? It, it's used all the time out of context. It's... it's, it's horribly misused. It's one of those things not given the sense. Let's, let, let's go back and do this, okay? This is in Jeremiah 29. And in Jeremiah 29, God finally had enough of Judah. He says, a hundred years earlier, he said he had enough of Israel. And he says, forget it, I'm not going to defend you anymore. And they got overrun. A hundred years go by, and now there's Judah, and he says, forget it, you got too much idolatry, I'm, just, I'm not going to protect you anymore, and you're going to get overrun. But then you know what he says? He says, in 70 years, I'm going to get rid of your cap, cap, the people that capt- captured you, and I'm going to let you have your land back. In 70 years. And I'm thinking, wait a second, I'm 60-something, 70 puts me at 130. I go, big deal. Right? whoop de doo I'm going to be 135. This promise is going to be do me no good whatsoever. And I look at my sons who are like 30, 31, 33. 
And I go, 30, 31, 33, plus 70, that's 100. I go, whoop de doo it's not going to help them either. But I had a grandson that was born yesterday, and he's going to be 70. And you might even say, whoop de doo he's going to be a grandpa by then. Right? I know whoop de doo that's not King James either, is it? But you go, whoop de doo right? Yes, but there's another generation out there that I'm going to do it for because I want to bless them. Man, it takes a lot of discipline to be looking. You'll never get the benefit, but your children's children's children will do it. Wow. And God would have us think this way. So now let's read this passage. Not like the calling cards, but like God intended it. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, and eat fruit of them. Take ye wives, beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminish. And seek the peace of the city, where I have caused ye to be carried away captives, and pray the Lord for it. For in peace thereof shall ye have peace. Verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets or diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken you to their dreams, because they have dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name, and I have not sent them. And I think I've shared this. Sometimes young people will come to me, and I'll I'll look, and, and a young man will come to me, and he'll be, you know, dating and getting his affections toward this girl, and and as my grandma Conti would say, she's a karababats. That's crazy goat in Italian. Don't show when I was growing up, stay away from the karababats. That's what she told me all the time. Those crazy women. And I didn't know it, but she told my sisters the same thing. Stay away from them crazy guys. But but anyway, stay away from them, right? And 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 and, and I'll I'll talk to some of these young people. And, and I'll say, this girl, this, 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 there's no godly qualities in her whatsoever. You're asking for heartache for the rest of your life. Think long and hard about this. Yeah, but God told me. I get that all the time, but God told me. And you know what I say, but he didn't tell me. And this is all I got. Well, that's what he's saying there. They're going to have some people in the midst. And he's like, well, God told me. Well, okay. He didn't tell me that. I'm sticking with his word. Okay. Verse 10, still in Jeremiah 29. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform the good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. And here's the verse you see on the calling cards. For I know the thoughts that I think of you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So you got someone that's going through a hard time, yes? Maybe it's a bad operation, maybe it's a rebellious child, maybe it's a divorce, and you send them a calling card, and in that calling card, you say, don't worry, in 70 years, God will bless you. How many people would buy that calling card? That's what the verse is saying. It wants us to look way off yonder. Yes. 
Verse 12, that ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken to you, and seek me, and you'll find me, and you'll search for me with all your heart. Verse 14, and I will be fond of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captive, and I will gather you from all the nations, and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into this place, whence I cause you to be carried away captive." Y'all, they would never experience the blessing that was promised. Their children most likely would not experience that. It's a good chance some of their grandchildren would, but not very many. And this is a promise for their great-grandchildren. If God is asking a people to look four generations down, can we here at Mount Olive actually just look one generation and start doing things for the next young people? Message number one is the way we would interpret Scripture was the way God would have us interpret Scripture. Number two is we were going to have a multiple, multi-generational perspective. It's not about us. It's for our children and our children's children. And then number three, we're going to one another. And these are just the ones in the New Testament. And I don't have the references. If you'd like them, I can give them to you. But the Bible says you're supposed to love one another, edify one another, salute one another, greet one another, serve one another. And there's the whole list. So there's 30 of them. And I always do this, but I've done this enough to you. You know the answer. Of the 30, which one do you think is the most important? And you've been drilled enough by your pastor that the word is consider one another. And when you look at the list, and I don't have it bold-faced and red sticking out like a sore thumb, it's really a pretty boring one, isn't it? Consider one another. But do you realize if you don't stop and get off the me monster and stop and actually try to look from their perspective another person, you won't know how to serve them. You won't know how to love them. You won't know how to comfort them. You won't know how to pray for them. You won't know how to do anything. To consider one another is the most important one. It's the first one. That's where it starts. Okay. This is Third John. Here's one of my preachers. My daughters and I always argue about how to pronounce his name. I say Gaius, they say Gaius. Five and six, beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. That's inside the church and outside the church. Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. All right. I'll give you two really basic examples. When I became your pastor, you know, I get here so early. I just, I just need my alone time. I'm usually here, today I was probably here 7, 38 o'clock, and, and, and I walk, and I pray, and I think about the different families, and, you know, do the little things, and I just try to get ready for the sermon. But then I hear, and I sit here, and for 11 years I've watched our older members come in, okay? So when I started, you didn't need a walker, but now you have a walker, you understand? but I watched 11 years people come in and walk. And over the years, I've seen walkers and I've seen canes and I've seen wheelchairs. And I've looked at our building and our building is not old, it was not old people friendly. It simply was not. The pews were too close, they were jammed, they couldn't get around the corners, you couldn't roll a wheelchair up. 
Remember Miss, Miss Jane? Couldn't get her up there. Later on it was Joyce. Couldn't get her up there. We couldn't do it. Right? And you know what I was doing for 11 years? I was trying to hide pews. I was. I put them in the lunchroom. Remember that? I lined them up against this wall. I put them in the cry room. Put them up here. I've been trying, but, but they kept getting dragged back out. So finally, about a year ago, I thought, what's going on here? Why? They couldn't have designed this room with this congestion. And then I was looking, and I asked Sister Rhoda, Sister Rhoda, when did they put the bathrooms in? She told me the year. You know what happened? They had room for the pews, but then they built those two bathrooms and we lost the room. So we had 10 pounds of potatoes in a five pound sack. Do you understand? So I took six pews and stored them in my basement. And the first day I did, Brother Doug says, hey, I can walk between the pews. You know what Josiah said? How tall are you, 6'6"? Six, six? About there, okay. You know what he said though? Hey, Brother Dolph, I can sit straight. Now, I know Brother Dolph's changing up the church again. No, Brother Dolph doesn't care about looks. What Brother Dolph cares about is getting in the shoes of our old people, thinking, what can I do to make their life easier? The last thing a person in a wheelchair wants to do is to come in and have a great big fuss made about. They want to be able to simply slide in and get a spot and worship with everybody else. And the way the building was. So what was driving that was not my care of the building. It was getting in the shoes of somebody else. That's part of considering one another. Okay, let me go to the other end of the spectrum, okay? <clears throat> the way I consider the older members, and I'll be blinking and I'll be there too, so I get it, it'll be my turn, was to sit here and just watch them come in. Now, most of you, usually they're the first ones here. So if you're always coming in late or, you know, right a couple minutes before, you don't even see them come in. So you don't have time to consider them. You don't even watch things from their perspective. I want to ask the rest of us, have you ever gone outside the back lunchroom and just looked at that little area where our kids play? And have you ever just watched them for about 30 minutes? Why would I do that? You need to look at life from their perspective and their parents' perspective. And then all of a sudden when you go out there, t- today when we're done, I want all of you to go back there and look at that slide. If that slide does not scare the daylights out of you, you're too self-absorbed. It's horrible. It's not even close to perpendicular. I'm guessing it's what... Uh, 60s probably too much, maybe 70 degree angle. And think, think, think of a set of parents with their four or five year old little boys going to run up that thing. Or think of some visitors and their kids go out there. Oh, I'm not letting my kids out there. Yes. Or, or think of it for this perspective. Now it's today's a icy, snowy day. We got some mean dogs in our neighbor's yard. 
And we got parents that have to sit out there to watch to make sure their kids don't touch that chain link fence because they might miss a finger. If, you would, if, if we would get out there and, and the parents are saying, we need a privacy fence. No, we don't need that. You know what you're doing? You're not thinking like a parent. You got to get out of yourself and you just got to get in the shoes of someone else and look what their needs are. You understand? And that's what it takes. Now, I'm going to brag on Brother Richard. He has done that for years. But he can't be the only one doing it. So thank you, Brother Richard. But I've got, there's some things. Well, I'll just go the obvious. I try to observe the congregation, but as a male, there's some things I miss and I depend on my wife to tell me. As a male, I'm just too goal-oriented, thick-headed, and it just goes right there. I get, I get that. I try not to be, but I am. So my wife will kind of fill me in. And she'll tell me things that I'm missing. But that is part of one anothering one another with the most important one another to be to consider one another. Right? Just, just walk in that back bathroom. Now think, okay, Claire just had a little baby. So sometime in the next week or two, whenever she gets healthy and she gets back, we got to think a little old Claire. And she's going to have that little bit. She's going to have to change a baby. Can she change the baby in there? Really? Would you lay a baby down in that room? Okay. Think about it from mom's perspective. Don't, don't think about it from your perspective. Think about it from mom's perspective. What does she need? What does a visitor need that would be like her? Now, I'm talking to you about practical things. And the only reason I pick practical things is because they're tangible and you can put your hands on them. But then there's spiritual needs too. About an older person that maybe need... Oh no, it's springtime. That first cutting was horrible. Maybe Brother Sonso is going to have trouble. Maybe I ought to get a little work team together and go over there and cut their lawn for them. Do you understand? We've got to start thinking. And, and, and a church needs to be one anothering one another, and it starts with considering one another. You're the little gerbil in the ring and it's going around so fast, that's all of our lives, right? We've got to stop the ring, step outside the ring, and look around. What's going on? Okay. <clears throat> Here's my favorite verse. You've probably heard this one two dozen times over the last 11 years. Ephesians 4.16. Look at the nouns. From whom the whole body, that's from the one-day-old to the 94-year-old, the whole body, fitly joined together, compacted by which every joint the one-day-old and the 94-year-old. According to the effectual working in measure of every part, the one-day-old and the 94-year-old, and everybody in between, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. Now those are just the nouns. Let's go back through this verse and let's look at the verbs. Okay? From whom the whole body fitly joined together. We're like a brick wall. No, we're not like a brick wall. We're like a stone wall, right? A brick wall. All the bricks are nice and uniform. They all fit together real nice and perfect. You know what a stone wall is? You've got these rocks that are all different shapes. Yes? And some of them are oblong and some of them are round and some of them are really skinny. 
Some have really sharp edges. Some are really smooth. That's us. And God takes those rocks and he puts them together to form a wall. That's the New Testament church. Fitly joined together. Compacted. They're tight. That doesn't mean just an hour and a half on Sunday morning. That's not tight. And you can connect now with little cards, texts, and email. There's so many communication devices. Telephone call. Every joint supplieth. According to the effectual working, we're all doing something, and it's effective. In the measure, making increase of the body, when we're doing these things, edifying means uh, to, to build up. In love. We're doing this in love. And I gave you September 2011. I've preached it pretty regularly over the last 11 years. I do believe that's still a pretty good destination. Amen. If you think it's a wrong destination and we get a new biblical destination, let me know, and maybe I'm off course, but I think that's our goal. In the meantime, until we change our goal, I'm going to be making these little adjustments on the steering wheel to keep us on track. And every once in a while, we'll fall asleep at the wheel, and we've got to make a real correction, but this is what should be driving us. We're going to interpret the Bible the way he would have us interpret it, We're going to look and see, focus on the next generation. And the next generation after that, that's our goal. It's not about us. And the last thing is, is we're going to want another one another. And it starts with considering. Because if you don't stop and consider their needs, you're not going to do any of the other ones.